Hey everybody, and welcome to a new episode of StartupRad.io, your podcast show with startup news and interviews from Germany. Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of StartupRad.io, due news, startup news from Germany. Today I do have two guests with me, Elda from Frankfurt. Yep, hello from Frankfurt. And Chris, who's steadily fighting with his internet connection in New York. Yeah, hopefully now it's better. And uh, yeah, hey, from New York on what seems to be a very rainy day today. But yeah, that doesn't change anything for the podcast. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. Moin, Dropbox and Hootsuite. According to Gründerszene.de, Dropbox and Hootsuite are opening offices in Hamburg, which already Facebook, Google and Airbnb have done so in the past. You guys, any idea why those companies going to uh, going to Hamburg and not to Frankfurt, Munich or Berlin? Exactly, that was my question when I saw this news. <laughs> well, I, I always have this theory that probably uh, Hamburg has a bit more of a tradition of trade and that there is a, a bit more money in the city, whereas Berlin does still have like a lot of subsidies and, and stuff like that, but not, not a lot of old money, let's say. And probably that's why Hamburg, Hamburg also in terms of infrastructure is still very relevant. And I mean, in, for media, it certainly is. But uh, and at least for Facebook and Google media seems to be an important group of stakeholders. Not so sure about Dropbox and Hootsuite though. Well, Hootsuite probably is, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we should tell the people who don't know that one of the most important periodicals, Der Spiegel, The Mirror, is located in Hamburg, for example. Yeah. I mean, it's basically interesting because in, a, in an area of probably around 500 meters or so, you have Der Spiegel, then the weekly newspaper, Die Zeit, then there's uh, Gruner und Ja pretty close, which uh, comes up with a lot of monthly magazines and also runs Der Stern, which is like the German equivalent to Time or Newsweek magazine. And so, yeah, it's very, it's very concentrated there. Yeah, and I think it's also uh, multicultural. Uh, yeah. For example, I think I, I think I was there only once, and uh, I remember I just checked an internet, and I think that was a, a Huffington, Huffington Post article. So I just googled uh, things uh, reasons to visit Hamburg, and and I remember that was quite funny. That one of the reasons was just written as it is. Uh, it's not Bavaria, <laughs> because uh, usually Germany is very associated with. Uh, about Bavarian style, like the beer and leather hose and so on. And Hamburg is completely different. It's, I think, more uh, intercultural, multicultural. Yeah. yeah. And people do think it's also a little bit cooler behavior because the in Bavaria always have this umta umta and stuff like that. But in in Hamburg, you always have the little bit cooler approach, like moin. <laughs> probably, probably. I mean, here I try to be a big advocate for Hamburg because people always underestimate Ham Hamburg, I think. They they know the Lederhosen style from Bavaria. They know like, okay, Berlin is now the place to be because it is not as expensive as probably New York is. But yeah, I always try to make some, do some marketing for Hamburg because I think it's also a city where you can learn about what Germany is like these days and and how germany changed because it has those all those multicultural influences as well as berlin does it has the harbor and the water and so yeah i always thought that it's a it's a good example of how germany changed and many people don't have in mind that since 1648 germany has been basically a kind of aggregation of 
each time several hundreds of states where everybody has their own culture, their own history and all of this stuff. Many people might know the Bavarians, Schwaben, Hessen, Sachsen, whatever. There are many interesting places out there. But talking about Berlin, Elda also has some news from there, right? Exactly. Uh, US Accelerator Techstars uh, starting in Berlin. Uh, the first 10 startups of the first batch are starting in the Berlin-based Techstars. They open their uh, new point and will get help from Techstars and mentors. According to GründerSense, startups receive about 120k US dollars, uh, 18k uh, seed investment and optional convertible note of approximately 100k, which uh, I find is a great news. And there are so many accelerators right now at the moment. Most of them are from United States. Maybe they're just marketed really much more better than the others. But I actually, I have the feeling that it's a kind of really competitive market right now. Yeah, you mean the accelerator market exactly. itself, like exactly. the meta market? Yeah, it is. And I mean, there were also already uh, accelerators and incubators who closed down. Like, uh, I think the Pro 7 Z1 Media incubator, they stopped operating. And yeah, and, and it's always hard to find companies who who really fit into what you're looking for, because with the amount of money you're providing and the equity you're asking for, you're already aiming for a specific slice of the market because you come up with an valuation. So for those not familiar with it, for example, um, usually those incubators or accelerators, they offer you a certain amount of money and you give them a percentage of your equity. Like for example, you get $50,000 and have to give the company 10%, uh, the, the incubator 10% of your company, which means that in a way your company, or which means that your company is valued at 500,000 euros, which may sound like a lot, but actually is not. And so you always have those people who are, who are hesitant to get into an incubator or an accelerator because they think, well, it's the next Facebook and it's going to change the world. So why would I think it's worth only 500,000? But then again, you also have the incubators and the investors and the accelerators who think, well, it's probably better to have 90% of something that is uh, worth millions than to have a hundred percent of something that doesn't make it and that's worth nothing because you didn't get like the professional professional assistance and so yeah and so it's always hard because with the valuation and the money you're giving you're already aiming at a specific slice of the market and you're looking for a certain professionalism and I think probably the German scene is sometimes not there yet and there aren't that many companies and ideas who fit into into that uh, that criteria yes because you you have to have a certain age because nobody values a company at half a million that doesn't have anything else than yeah. not nice powerpoint slides so you're looking at a little bit mature company but there's one point where as far as i know no foreign accelerator is yet entered into germany it's fintech because frankfurt is a fintech hub we do have two accelerator programs here and we also made an interview with startup bootcamp fintech you can search on our website for the interview www.startuprate.io but they were only here for pitch events so i would not be aware of any fintech accelerator located here in germany from a foreign branded mm. accelerator program that would have already started so that is still some white spot there Chris, you also brought news from Berlin, yeah, right? Yeah, more from Berlin. Um, because, well, 
in what turned out to be like one of the real great showcases of German startup culture and entrepreneurship culture is that um, the whole scene got one of the biggest acquisitions yet. And uh, probably you can even name it like the acquisition of the first half of 2015. And it's Microsoft who bought a Berlin-based Wunderlist. And Wunderlist is known for a ba pretty basic to-do list app, which just looks magnificent and does a lot of things in a very beautiful way. And it's really one of the most written about and uh, uh, talked about German startups there is and rightfully so they are, um, seem to be cool people and it's a great product and the amount of that Microsoft paid was not disclosed but there was this one article in Wall Street Journal that estimated it, that it would have been bought for around 100 to 200 million US dollars and Well, it happened what seems to be like the cliche in Germany or what always happens in Germany that they uh, already then popped up very quickly afterwards the articles saying, oh, they sold their soul to Microsoft. Yeah, I have also opinion on that. Uh, I don't support the opinion that you spent with this, uh, the text and articles. I'm pretty fine with that. It's a business, so they can sell their business and maybe they want to be a serial entrepreneur so maybe possibly they have in mind a new startup and maybe they will be also successful yeah. but the thing which i really don't like i don't know why it happens but when uh, microsoft uh, uh, buys uh, choirs a startup it was uh, same with the sky physio in january it was with revolution analytics the products are just not getting better and that's uh, the most disappointing point for me Because I personally use Wunderlist and I tried so many to-do lists applications like OmniFocus uh, and then Todoist and so on. And I really like the user experience that they created. It's like very easy and I like the sound. When you tick the thing to do that you are already done, it sounds ting, ting, ting. And I really just like the small tips or the small uh, feature. And uh, I'm not sure. It's like a little reward, Exactly, right? exactly. You know what I mean. Yeah. And the other uh, software and apps, they are not doing it. And actually, that was well, that is one of the reasons why I use Wunderlist. And I'm not sure if Microsoft would be so successful in improving it. I think if they will just leave as it is right now, it will be like the best reward. Yeah, I guess in general, the whole company is, well, with all the things they do, they still have this problem of creating products that people feel an emotional connection with. And so whatever, everything they do is more like the rational choice, be it like the Surface or even, even like Skype or something. I mean, you got this whole Apple universe with those people really like believing in it and it's like a sect in a way. But yeah, Microsoft never accomplished that in a way. But I have to, to give a shout out to the Outlook for iOS, which to me really turned out to be the best solution to handle my email on my iPhone. It's a very good app. It takes the best from mailbox and standardized mail system on iOS, and it's, it's a very good choice. At least there's that. I have some points to add. At first, I also do use Wunderlist. Secondly, I was, I was looking at the ownership structure, because this is disclosed in Germany if you go into the public register. So Gründerszene did this for me, and it was checking the the shares that the founders are still holding. I could only find the CEO holding 19% of the company. Then you do have two classes of 
founders. Some of them still hold 3%, but most people I found did not hold any equity according to Grundasena database. So there was an exit, but it appears to me that it was mainly money going to VC investors and VC companies and not too much towards the founders. I would have liked it to be the other way around. And I also talked about it in the German podcast as well, because there's not a big list of companies with such deep pockets that could pay 100, 200 million for a company that does not have a big monetization yet, but a promising product. So you could only think about a lot of American tech giants, which you either like or you don't like, but basically that's almost the list. Yeah, and that would probably be an argument against this idea of hopefully they turn into uh, serial entrepreneurs if they don't make that much, can, if they can't take that much money out of it. I don't I know. Th- uh, yeah, I just uh, have one question to Jorn. Do you think is there is a way to improve Wunderlist? I think it's just ideal. It's easy and it gives what you need. And I don't know if Microsoft can improve it somehow. What do you think? Do you need uh, some other features that are not there? I would have a list of 20 to 40 things they could approve from the top of my mind, but I'm rather asking them to pay me to disclose that. (laughs) (laughs) Talking about paying and a little bit more business, I also found some news. Zalando is sent to the MDAX. That means there was a regular rebalancing of the index, which is the medium DAX, meaning the little sibling of the DAX, because there's MDAX and SDAX, and MDAX is for the medium-sized companies with a medium-sized float and a medium-sized revenue. And Zalando, the e-commerce fashion giant from the Rocket Empire, was during the last rebalancing included in the MDAX. So now they are officially a medium-sized listed company. I don't know that much about Zalando. I'm yeah. I, I have to admit I don't really get their business model. I think they struggle with the amount of packages being sent back to them. I never really got into buying fashion online and I can just say good for them. What they do in Germany is basically um, the biggest online fashion retailer aimed at women. Yeah. In, in one of the last episodes we talked about in the German podcast if there could be the same for men, but unfortunately no one of us was really sure if this would be possible. Yeah. And what do you think, guys, about uh, their strategy also? I don't know how successful it is, but uh, once I visited, so they started to do the normal, the retail shops, and there's one in Frankfurt, but I suppose it was not a really nice idea. What do you think about it when the company, uh, usually it works like this. If a company is uh, very successful in retail, in offline sales, it's not very successful in online and vice versa. Yeah. I mean, there's also always this talk about Amazon putting up flagship stores in the big cities and it never really happens. So, yeah, and I think it doesn't happen for a reason. What Zalando is doing here in Frankfurt in Leipziger Straße is basically they do have an outlet where they sell either everything that was sent back mm. and then washed and redone and all this stuff or stuff that they cannot sell anymore online. So it's like more of an outlet. I've been there several times and I'm obviously not the right target group because I cannot find anything. So Yeah, same with me. That's about it. But Chris... 
Yeah. You have some news from Hamburg again. Yeah, it was in Hamburg, yes. And um, probably one of the most talked about events in the media entrepreneurship scene in, in Germany in the past weeks was an event called the Volker Innovation Day. Volker is like a small German foundation trying to support and empower media startups in Germany. It's a bit like a super, super small um, pro publica, if you want to. And for the second time, they did a Volker Innovation Day in Hamburg and invited students, founders, and uh, a lot of big uh, media big shots to their Spiegel headquarters. And in the afternoon, after a couple of very good keynotes in the morning, which some of them were even in English, for example, um, Melissa Bell from Vox.com was there. And after a couple of those really good keynote talks in the morning, there was even a pitch competition in the afternoon afternoon, which was won by a German startup called audioguide.me, also the audioguide.me. And it's also based in Hamburg. And it's a city guide app that you use on your iPhone. And basically what you do is you, um, you're standing at some place and then you can get out your iPhone and you can add an audio file to this place. It only allows you to actually record stuff within, I think, a distance of 150 or 200 meters. And uh, so it becomes more or less like the like an audio, audio map of the city or even the world. They um, got a couple of fiction publishers on the platform as well, which gives it another nice touch. And um, yeah, so they won the pitch competition at uh, the Innovation Day. I think they will now get some consulting package from the next Media Accelerator, which we talked about last time, um, the Media accelerator run by the German Newswire and several others. So everyone should take a look at Audio Guide Me and what they do because it's really they're really cool guys and I think probably they're onto something. The platform is working well and it's really a very nice app and a different way to experience a city. I totally agree. Elda yeah, we got the news from Apple. Uh, the guys are always awake at this time of the year. And we got a news that the latest uh, iOS will update their features and it will be, it's a bad news actually for advertisers because as a part of user privacy initiative, Apple just made it a lot harder to place advertising in mobile apps. And uh, as an additional feature, it seems that the iPhone users uh, could have a feature to block all the ads they see on the web. And it's actually can turn the business model of Apple itself and more tasks for the publishers. It's a time to think for them what kind of other channels they would like to use to promote their products or services. What do you think? Well, I'm personally not really a techie guy. And even though I'm hosting two podcasts, I don't see myself really as a publisher. So I do understand that it gets the publishers into trouble. But on the other hand, I really don't have a direct opinion on it because I don't understand the situation completely. Yeah, and again, probably it's it's a sign again that this need for a simple solution for all problems publishing or all problems advertising is answered in a bad way sometimes because everyone is always looking for this one company who solves all your problems and when you then start to link your fate to a company just like Apple or if you put all your eggs into the Facebook basket, then your platform risk is growing too a lot and then you're depending probably depending too much on it. So that's probably the only the only hint or the only deeper truth that lies within this as well. 
Yeah, I don't know about the web browsing, but I really don't like when the ads are popping up in uh, apps. It really yeah. uh, pisses me, <laughs> to say frankly. Yeah, true. Uh, bringing you some more business news from Frankfurt. German Startups Group is on the way to IPO on the Frankfurt Stock Exchange. The investor, German Startups Group, is a VC who invested in companies like SoundCloud, Deliver Hero, Mr. Specs, Amorelli, Wunderkai, and Credit Tech. All big names in the German startup scene wants to IPO in Frankfurt, according to a Bloomberg News report. Do you think IPO is always the best way for a startup? I mean, in a way, it seems to be like a, a, a meta startup because it's like the startup group enabling the startups. But um, it depends. I mean, uh, usually you, you would think that investors or companies investing depend on this really super smart angel investor kind of guy who comes up with the decisions. So this would be a bit counterintuitive with a company um, that is being run by shareholders. So it's going to be interesting to see if this structure works or not. Yeah, we already were discussing uh, this topic um, in one of the news. And I remember that I support an opinion that there should be some requirements and they should be uh, maybe in some cases strict because I just don't want that uh, we repeat uh, the dot-com bubble. So if requirements will be too low and everyone would wish to make an IPO and the market will be just fulfilled with the startups without any uh, background uh, strong valuation uh, value. Yeah, and also usually shareholders, are, they want to see results pretty early on. I mean, this is the whole, this is yeah. li literally the definition of shareholder well value, like coming up with very good quarterly reports. And this is totally against how startups usually operate because, I mean, they should not think about what the financial result of each quarter is, but more have like a bigger vision. So Exactly. We'll see where it goes because we'll have not only the German Startups Group, but also Rocket Internet listed here in Frankfurt. And I truly do believe that it will turn out during the next downturn if this is really a lasting business model or if they will just all pop. And we got a news from the paywalls and content field about the future of the paywalls and the Global Editors Forum in Spain. There was an event and the Dutch startup, Blendl, with an idea, with a business model that uh, offers a really nice idea, really supported for the paid content. And it works like this, for example, uh, you don't need to subscribe to a newspaper or a journal on a monthly or a yearly basis. You just uh, buy uh, per article. If you find the article, the beginning, the introduction, for example, of an article interesting, and you just pay a small amount of money exactly for this article, to read this article and not all newspaper and not the whole magazine. And I like this idea and I would probably would be uh, one of the first users. And actually the journalism right now is in a transformation because there are so many content online and people have so many opportunities to choose between the content, between the journals, between the newspapers. And I think it will make the journalism more professional, more interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that here within this, there are two main obstacles. One is that a lot of companies are looking for an answer to the question how to make micropayments really 
very easy. And uh, I think probably Blendle is getting uh, a lot of attention on this one for the right reasons as well. And two is you have to have the good content that people don't get anywhere else. So it's not like your average five, six hundred word piece about some news event that people would pay for. So let's say it's not the 600 word piece about how the tax in Paris went on on Charlie Hebdo, but it would probably be the uh, 2,500, 3,000 word piece on how the uh, attackers grew up and what kind of suburb they lived, etc. And for this, you would need the real strong brands who have the publishing power and have uh, the amount of editors, the number of editors that really can provide those articles. And Especially in that, it seems as if Blendle is really the one to watch right now in the German market because the number of publishers and the quality of the publishers that signed up for the platform is really stunning. And so they have a lot of the big shot names like Süddeutsche Zeitung and the whole Axel Springer publishing company who some of the biggest ones, uh, some of the biggest newspapers in Germany and who's also very good in terms of digital strategy. So Axel Springer is on board because Springer also is one of the investors in Blendle. So they have a vital interest in making the whole thing work. But so far, it seems to be like the most promising try to come up with a solution for this idea of how can we make people pay for small increments of journalism as easy as possible. Jorn, what do you think? Well, I tell you again, I'm not so much of a journalist, but I do think all the media has either to make the step into the future, meaning digital. In, let's say, 20 to 50 years, there'll barely be any newspapers the way we have them right now. But I'm not too sure if all of the old media will make it into the new age and if there would not be some substitution of the old media by new media, talking about Twitter, talking like awesome podcasts like this, and like the like the radio did for the newspaper, like the TV did for the radio and the newspaper and stuff like that. Yeah. But then, okay, then as a from a user perspective, you seem like an intelligent person, <laughs> even though we never met in person. But okay, so, <laughs> um, how? How often would you say, okay, I would now really like to read the page three article in Süddeutsche Zeitung, which for the international listeners, the page three article in Süddeutsche Zeitung is really this amazing long form piece they come up with each day. It's really giving you a lot of background on things. It has its feet on the ground and it's really always very good journalism. And um, the whole the whole page, and it's a big page because German newspapers are a bit bigger than in other countries a lot of times, um, is just one story. So how often do you feel the need, okay, I wish I could read the page three article of Süddeutsche Zeitung right now very easily and I don't want to buy the whole package or the whole print paper. Let Give me just page three for, I don't know, 30 cents, 40 cents. Do you think that is a user scenario you're, you'd like? or For me personally, not. I do from time to time buy some articles to um, read online. I could see myself paying for some articles for FAZ or Die Zeit, which uh, has very long, very in-depth articles. I personally do, for work, subscribe to The Economist, and I do pay from time to time to get some news from New York Times and FT because they're relevant for my job. So, Süddeutsche, maybe I'm in the wrong business, maybe I'm not the right target group, but... Okay. Uh, they, they they would they would not 
work for me, but I do from time to time pay for content for other publications. Oh, yeah, I'm just uh, also imagining myself, and I also sometimes uh, read and buy articles uh, about the topic uh, which I'm looking. Uh, so I have the target, I have the aim to find the article about this or that. And usually these are the journals, like uh, a few of them you already uh, told about them. They're The Economist or Harvard Business Review. And I'm just imagining myself uh, on a daily basis if I'm just walking um, to the supermarket and I buy a product there and I see a newspaper, the local, I'm talking about the local newspapers, and in what case I would buy this newspaper or in what case I will pay for one of the articles in one of these newspapers. And I think the special think which will push me to buy something to buy one article in uh, the local newspapers would be if i will uh, see something interesting about the local local news or local places for example i would buy a newspaper or an article if i will see that there is a review done on the bicycle road maps around frankfurt so that would be uh, one reason for me to buy a newspaper in a local to buy an article in a local newspaper yeah, it doesn't sound, I mean, even though it's just anecdotal anecdotal examples here, it doesn't seem as if this use case happens very often. So, yeah, we'll see. Still, the publishers have to figure out how to make money and journalism is going to die or probably not. We'll see about that. But, it's, yeah. At first, it was kind of like one of the main reasons I bought my Nexus 7 because I thought, okay, I'll do a subscription of FAZ, uh. I'll do a subscription of New York Times, NFT, and every morning I get up, I'll just go through the newspapers. But actually, it turns out RSS feeds, Twitter, German business news, and English business news, especially N24 and Bloomberg, are doing the deal for me. So currently for me, there's no... No big reason to actually do this and consume those on a tablet, even though I get special offers and all of this stuff from time to time. But I've not been a person to subscribe to digitally to any newspaper yet. No. I have this case and I think few of us or I think many of us, they have uh, two or three publications, newspapers or journals that they are addicted to. And, uh, for example, I always read the Wired Journal and uh, UK edition. I don't know. I don't like the US edition. And I really pay for it, and I read it on my tablet as well. So this is the case where we are ready to pay for the whole journal, and I do it pretty easily. And uh, instead of buying, for example, a few articles in the same journal, I would love to buy just the, the whole journal. Well... The next topic I have is uh, pretty, co uh, pretty much connected with that because, and it starts with a disclosure. I'm one of the uh, writers for that project, and it's called Krautreporter, which is a wordplay between the Germans, which are the Krauts and the crowd financing it. Um, Krautreporter is a collective of journalists, around 20 people, 25 people, who came together in Germany to come up with a different kind of online magazine. And it's very long form. It doesn't have any ads. It doesn't have any clickbait. It's just telling you, okay, if you support us, we will give you this nice hour, this nice hour on a Sunday afternoon, sitting on your couch with a tablet, and we'll give you five 
10 stories probably that you can read that you didn't know much about before, but you get really new perspectives on the news topics of the day or even like on those long-term topics which are always around. And so Krautreporter was able to collect around a million euro in the funding phase and now it's on for around eight months. But basically we had the one-year anniversary because it took us four months to get the platform up and running. And now we start the second funding phase. And during that funding phase, one of the most renowned writers of it called Stefan Niggemeier, which who is a very well-known media journalist in German media. He was a part of the project and now he said that he's going to leave Krautreporter, um, wrote a blog article why he does it and uh, mentioned that, for example, the technical platform still has way too many problems. Um, it was a good article and he pointed out uh, many points worthwhile. And but still everyone should have a look because it's really interesting, especially like for American listeners. It's really interesting that in Europe, a lot of new journalism projects are uh, funded via crowdfunding. And it's not as if there are so many venture capitalists as it, is, as it is the case in the US. But in Europe, there's really this crowdfunding movement all over the continent. And you got projects. The first really big one, successful one, where also Krauterporter was built after was in the Netherlands called The Correspondent. And the biggest one so far is El Espanol in Spain, which collected more than 3 million euro, 3.6, I think. And then uh, there are projects in Hungary, in, in France, in uh, Sweden, even in Iceland. And it's really all over the place in Europe right now. And I explained this in a way that nobody has an opinion. Uh, <laughs> so let's go. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's the, the one question I really wanted to ask. Is it, uh, can we call it a citizen journalism uh, well, no, usually what you mean by citizen journalism is that citizens become the journalists. So that like normal people, as opposed to the not normal journalists, turn into the writers itself. So it's, but this is not the case. So they don't do the function. They just do like the finance in a way. So it's not really, it's more crowdfunded journalism, citizen finance journalism in a way, but oh. it's not citizen run journalism. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's, we are talking a lot about the content today. Uh, most of the news are related to content. And I also knew about the platform. Unfortunately, I don't remember the name, but we're going to post a link about it. It's a platform for the journalists. Probably, Chris, probably you heard about it, where everyone can be a journalist and not maybe in a writing an article, a written content, but for example, taking a photo. So the platform, the idea of the platform that it works like this, there's a publishers and uh, for example, there is a event somewhere happened suddenly and they will need to send a journalist there. And this platform really allows these publishers to find someone, for example, the citizens or uh, people who are living in there uh, to be a journalist and not the write the article and not write the news, but for example, take a photo and they're ready to pay for this content. Yeah. I, there are a couple of projects and startups who try to figure this out. One that comes to mind to me is called Now This News. They are all thinking about this idea of becoming the Uber for journalism. So to say they send you a pretty good briefing, pretty strict, and tell you where to go and then to just fulfill a certain task there. Like Uber tells the the taxi driver or the driver to go to 
place XYZ and then fulfill a task there and drive somebody to another place. And now this news also thinks a lot about, okay, we want to turn into this platform where media can say, we heard about this explosion in on 55th Street and we need 30 seconds of footage showing flames and showing smoke coming out of the building, two people getting out and two people with their names who each say one sentence about what happened or what they heard. So they try to come up with a platform that tells media to be as specific as possible, and then people can sign up for that and can provide that. We'll see how far it goes. I think it's a very good idea, actually, because um, one of the main trends in journalism is going to be that this news part of it, and a task like this is really like heavily news-related, news part of it is going to be more de more and more democratized i think whereas like the analysis part and the context part is probably more run is, is probably going to be run more by experts still and you can call yeah. those experts journalists if you want to but yeah so for example at the newswire i'm working for i work for the german newswire we always had this example okay the news is a plane had uh, to do an emergency landing at the airport of dusseldorf This would be the news, and everybody can do that these days, having a Twitter account or a Facebook account. But the the DPA article, so the Newswire article, would be like, okay, um, there was a plane who had an emergency landing in Düsseldorf, and it was the second time in two months that this happened in Düsseldorf, and it had Franz Müntefering from SPD at uh, on board, who is a very important politician, but nobody got hurt. So something which is not that obvious, but which as a journalist with who knows professional ways to get these takes on stories, then you have the the financial background to do it because somebody's paying you to find this out and you're not just a passerby. But also like you, you have the journalistic education probably, or um, which cannot be substituted that easily by the crowd or by like citizen journalists. Yeah, exactly. And I can imagine how much money it can save to yeah. cut the cost of the publishers <clears throat> and especially also a lot of issues related to security and to insurance. For example, it will be very unsafe to send journalists from, for example, the Wall Street or New York Times to some hot point where there is actually unsafe to be. But there's, if already someone is already there and he can make a video footage of it, so the problem is already solved. So yeah. there's, a, there's a video content, there's no need to send uh, someone there, and the journals are still safe. Yeah. yeah, it all has its pros and cons, because then on the other side, you don't know what the agenda of those people is that go there for you. Probably they are more sympathizing with one side of the story than with the other side. You never know that. But then on the other hand, how useful is a reporter living in New York City who's just being sent to, I don't know, Afghanistan or some other war uh, place, war scene, and who doesn't know anything about the, the whole country or just very little about the country? I mean, those people are vulnerable to, to propaganda as well. So it's a very complex discussion. Yeah, around right. But I guess there are but I guess there are some use cases where you can actually get a good enough product or probably even a better product in terms of speed than you can get now for less money. Yeah, right, absolutely right. And we have the last news from Apple again. The, the news was announced on a developers conference that Apple is launching its own music stream service, which is called Apple Music. And this is a bad news for many startups and the, already the companies, for example, like Spotify or Deezer or Tidal as well. 
And personally, I use the Spotify myself. And I really like the service. And uh, I discovered another music stream service recently, which is called Tidal. It looks like absolutely same like a Spotify, but it provides a high quality music. So even higher than the best Spotify uh, mode. It's like the lossless video, audio. And they have also the videos there. So it's not a bad situation for Spotify, for example. And some people are also arguing that it will take uh, less than a year to be the Spotify's subscriber base. And I think the Spotify is also nervous right now and they're trying to make everything to get a competitive advantage. Let's see what will be done. But anyway, I'm sure it will make the music streaming service better and maybe cheaper. It's already not so expensive. Yes, totally. I do think that's a point. You cannot properly forecast if it will be Deezer, if it will be Spotify, if it will be Apple or someone else to win. But basically, the big advantage for us as a customer is it gets cheaper, it gets better. But I'm not too sure if only one remains if this is the perfect outcome for the customer. So we'll see where it goes. And also it's interesting in terms of Apple's strategy because in this market they are really now like a Me Too product because they were waiting too long and um, putting too much emphasis on the whole buying things uh, business model in the iTunes store. So it's going to be interesting. You remember the keynote when they talked about, Cook talked about, we revolutionized the music streaming and there were laughters in, in, yeah. in the listeners because... They were really late in the game. Yeah. They, I think they missed one opportunity at least here. They've been the leader with the iPhone, with the iPad, with the uh, iTunes Store. But now it appears to me that they are starting to fall back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's always, there's always this question floating around these days saying, okay, have we reached peak Apple? Or, and then people tend to look at the watch saying, okay, probably they have a bit disappointing sales numbers as well. Then the iPad now in the, I don't know, third, fourth, fifth generation turns out to be a product which isn't replaced as often as the company hopes to. And yeah, so I mean, that's what they always say, uh, or the critics always say that the company lost the touch for coming up with those really revolutionary products right now. I don't know if, if music streaming is going to give them their groove back. Yep. Right now, it doesn't seem as if it does. Yep. Talking about losing touch, this will be the last startup news for the summer break. We'll be back end of September, hopefully with you guys again. And as always, we do have a lot of know-how for those with vision. So come over, check us out, www.startuprate.io, and you'll see some example of a keynote from Elon Musk Europe's top 50 tech entrepreneurs, how to produce online videos that engage viewers, and a lot more stuff. So come over, check us out, and of course, as always, if you like it, share it. Sharing is caring. Yep. And I really will miss you, guys, <laughs> and, and listeners as well. <laughs> We do have a lot that we are preparing for the fall and Christmas time next year. And maybe we'll also do one recording from New York. I will be towards the end of the year in New York, and maybe we can do one recording from there. That would be awesome. Yeah. And the more interviews are coming. Of course, we'll have a lot of interviews. So stay tuned. 
and we're now out in the summer break. Thanks, goodbye, and of course, subscribe to us. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. Cheers. <laughs>